It's uh, Dr. Douglas Mack. I'm calling uh, for Blair and RV. Yeah, Doug, thanks for joining the show this morning. It's a total pleasure. We had a guy call in like 30 seconds before you, and I thought it was you, but it was not you. He sounded a little rough this morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not, that's not me. <laughs> no, you sound oh, great. I haven't had my coffee yet. But. You sound fantastic. So you're on the board of directors with the Canadian Society of Allergy and Clinical Immunology, Pediatric Allergy, Asthma Immunology, and Assistant Clinical Professor at McMaster University, a.k.a. you know a thing or two. <laughs> I do try. Did you fit that all on your business card, Dr. Doug? <laughs> it doesn't fit very well. You were among a, a panel of doctors uh, who, who basically got together and has now urged the provincial government to reopen schools. Tell us why that is. Listen, I think w- there's a couple of really key things that, we're, that we need to look at. Because we're looking at a lot of the metrics currently about COVID spread. We're looking at COVID numbers, percentages, et cetera. Um, but I, I think there's a lot that we aren't looking at. And when, when this when this virus first came out, we really didn't know, you know, how is this going to affect all the different age groups? How is this going to affect different populations? And what we clearly know now is that the, 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 you know, the key thing is that kids really do not seem to be getting very sick from this. In fact, you know, there are plenty of viruses that circulate every single year, like RSV, influenza, rhinovirus, that lead to far higher rates of a hospital admission, um, intensive care admission, and even fatality. And, and this is something that I think that a lot of parents don't understand. They think it's inherently unsafe for children to be going to school because of the threat of coronavirus to these kids. But it just doesn't seem to be the case. Now, that's not to say that there aren't some children that won't get sick. Absolutely. We will see kids, and we do see kids getting sick with this. But in the broader context, we're not seeing sicker children per se. The second thing is, you know, I, I think... Uh, we, we often think about kids as being super spreaders, and for a lot of viruses, this seems to be the case. But, but for coronavirus, we simply are not seeing kids being the super spreaders in general uh, that we used to that we, that we had maybe seen with other viruses, or even perceive this to be. In fact, when you look at the provincial numbers, and this is right from their their website, you can see that in fact the spread in in schools in high schools is actually far less than in the uh, long-term care facilities, but we're also seeing it even in workplaces. You know, I I think that workplaces seem to be a higher um, location for spread of coronavirus. So so we're not seeing the degree of spread. That doesn't say kids are not spreading this. Absolutely. We know, you know, they're human. They're going to spread this just like like everybody else is going to do. But it doesn't seem to be to the same degree. But I think once we kind of have, have addressed those kinds of issues, you know, I think the biggest concern here is that there is a collateral damage that we are seeing uh, for these children. Um, and when we talk about collateral damage, we know that everything that we do in medicine has an effect. It can be positive and it can be negative. Well, unfortunately, we know that lockdowns do have collateral damages in, in, in many different areas, and, and, and pediatrics is no exception. Um, like I was just reading some recent data um, suggesting that, you know, out of the state, that um, out of Stanford, actually, just this morning, I just read the, the data, um, and, and it was a, a, that many children are a full year behind um, in math and in, in reading comprehension and, and, and literacy. We're seeing similar numbers out of Calgary, seeing, showing even in the fall that we had about a six-month delay for leading, uh, reading comprehension um, and literacy in, in children that were in grades one to three. So this is very, very real. I mean, recent data out of, out of Europe suggesting 
that there's about a 28% high school dropout rate in some European countries. Wow. I mean, this is, this is you know, the, the, this should be staggering to us. I mean, the case counts are staggering, there's no question. But to think about a 28% high school dropout, for our, your listeners, this should be chilling for you. I mean, I, I think when you think about this, it isn't, you know, high school um, completion isn't simply a marker of economic independence in the long term. It's a marker of long-term health, and even early mortality. Um, some modeling studies out of the stage suggest that when you have this kind of educational deficit that we've already started to see um, because of COVID, we actually are going to see four times the potential year's life loss as we are seeing caused directly by the coronavirus. Um, and, and so while we are still learning more and more and more about this, you know, I, I think we need to consider that so much of what we are doing, it has an effect. It isn't simply about, you know, the case count. It isn't simply about the numbers. I mean, you know, we, we do not have a PCR test to instantly tell you how a child is doing educationally or, or, or how they are going to look 10, 15, 20 years down the road. But we, we do obviously have that for, for coronavirus, but we can't readily track this. And that's one of the challenges that we have. I mean, I think we're seeing other things as well. Um, you know, uh, we're seeing mental health, uh, substance abuse, anxiety, depression, suicidality. In fact, sick kids is now at its brim with eating disorders. Um, and mental health is a major component that is struggling amongst our youth. And, and we're seeing that, you know, one of my, some of my uh, general pediatrics colleagues are, are saying that at this point, they feel as though they are basically pediatric psychiatrists, the wow. amount of mental health that they're having to deal with. Um, screen time is at an all-time high. I mean, you know, <laughs> like, we're looking at three times the the the, the expected uh, amount or uh, allowed amount of screen time amongst Canadian children. I mean, and, and the CPS has made it very, very clear that screen time is linked to long-term health problems, obesity, um, even even uh, we're seeing even eye changes. You know, these kids are becoming myopic uh, wow. because of you know this. I mean, this is something that I, I think we need to really consider. Um, and, and, you know, I think teachers are doing their best. Parents are doing their best. Um, but the reality is so many parents, they're not teachers. They are, they are not an effective substitute for what a teacher can provide. Uh, and that's, that's assuming that they have good um, access to Internet. Um, in fact, the, the number of uh, Outages from Kojiko recently over the last little while have highlighted the fact that, unfortunately, Internet, it can be tenuous. And for, you know, I think that's, that's just the best case scenario. But we have so many of our marginalized populations, you know, uh, in both in London, in Toronto, and in, in, in all of Ontario, where, where access to Internet and, 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 and having parental support is simply not something that most children can um can count on. So, you know, I think what we're also considering is that absolutely we're, we're talking about, you know, sometimes the best case scenario for some of our um, um, children that are average, but for children that are struggling, this is an utter disaster for them. They rely on the support. Uh, in fact, even nutritionally, so many of our, 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 our kids, um, you know, we, we lived in London and, 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 and my, my wife taught at, at, a, at a school that, that was that where the children really did rely on um, on the food that was provided at the school, and, and this is the edu- the the educational piece is one of this uh, one of these aspects. 
but even food insecurity. I mean, this is something that so many of these children, you know, unfortunately, they rely on when when they come to school. So, you know, I, you know, I, I, I clearly want these COVID numbers to come down. We clearly want these LTCs to remain safe. We clearly want these, you know, our our elderly who have suffered so dramatically from this. I mean, the, the, there's no denying that our geriatric population has been absolutely hammered by this by this virus. Um, but to think that we can take a one one size fits all without having any, you know, you know. Um, focused or surgical approach to this problem, uh, unfortunately overlooks what, what is happening in our pediatric and other populations, especially the vulnerable populations. And we are going to see these effects 5, 10, 15 years down the road. I mean, like I said, not, not even that far. That's going to be the long-term effects. We're going to see the short-term effects, and we are already seeing this in our own practices. So I think the reason we wrote this is, is because we really want the government to consider, you know, how are they going to integrate this? Um, is it always going to be about a case count? Um, and, and I don't. And I'm. And and I am. I will say I am encouraged by the fact that they did do a regional approach to some degree. I mean, I think you know that when they when they didn't close the or they allowed the up the schools in northern Ontario to open, I think that was a promising first step. I'm really, really hoping that they decide to take a very similar uh, step in 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 this region uh, in our region. Um, you know, as well. So that's really kind of our push. I mean, I, we aren't making pol- I'm not making policy about this. We're trying to raise the level of of, of understanding, um, uh, and so we're glad to have opportunities like this to do so. I think this is something that unfortunately is not readily talked about. Dr. Doug Mack, who's one of the uh, the eight doctors there uh, who wrote uh, the opinion piece, get the children back to class. You know, you you touched on a lot there, uh, Dr. Doug. Uh, one of the things I was going to ask you was um, about mental health because, you know, sure. Blair and I both have young kids who started yeah. kindergarten the year that yeah. the pandemic began. And I'm yeah. almost more worried at, at this point of my kids suffering, uh, you know, having mental health difficulties mm-hmm. rather than contracting COVID. Sure. And I feel like that is a worry amongst a lot of young parents right now. No question. I think that the, 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 the we are seeing reports of, of increased acting out, uh, poor socialization amongst our younger ch- kid children. And, and you know quite clearly that younger children do not respond to virtual learning. I mean, no. I think that this is the reality. They, it, it, it is. You know, when you look at the data, uh, virtual learning may be more reasonable the older we get. Um, but in, in that kind of JK grades, uh, early preschool or early um, elementary school, it is not an effective thing. So we are absolutely seeing. How are kids um, going to sit there? How, how are kids supposed to sit there from a 9 a.m. check in all the way through the day until, say, yep. like 345 when the final virtual bell rings? It just seems yep. like an unrealistic expectation for a lot of the younger demographics. I think you're you're absolutely correct, and and I think that even for um, even for some of the older kids who have um, issues like ADHD, um, autism, autism spectrum, these are children that may have significant difficulty um, sitting in front of a screen for that long period of time. And and you know yourself, I mean, you can absorb through a screen for for 20 minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes, but to expect that you're going to be on there for even three or four, yeah. up to six hours, it, it just isn't feasible. And you're a hundred percent correct for a, for a child of you know five. To six years of age 
to do that, that you need support from a parent. And, you know, what's interesting is that what we are seeing is that it's not necessarily the parents that are doing this. It's the high-risk grandparents who are now being huh. called in to help to, help to um, redirect these children. They're being pulled from their own homes. And, and this is actually partly, partly, partially why some of the modeling shows that actually mortality can increase um, with school closures because people like grandparents are called in and they are the vulnerable ones that are now right. uh, being asked to shoulder this educational burden and, and care burden for these children. But you're, you're, you're dead on. I mean, I think this is a to think that this is a, a reasonable substitute, um, you know, is, 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 is like saying, you know, that it's a reasonable for a, for a construction worker to, to work from home. It simply doesn't work. You know, and I think for so many kids, this is not an effective substitute despite all the work. And I, and I give, I, I have to give credit for our teachers because they have been absolutely working hard trying to do their best to, to pivot on this um, and pivot really, truly, you know, in the moment, uh, you know, they were told, you know, with about three days notice that the kids weren't going back to school. And now you have to, you have to kind of pivot on this. And I, and so I have to give them uh, a ton of credit for sure. Dr. Douglas Mack, he's uh, on the board of directors for the uh, Canadian Society of Allergy and Clinical Immunology, as well as uh, assistant clinical professor at McMaster uh, University, among many, many, many other things, all of which uh, probably won't fit on a business card. But, <laughs> but Doug, before we let you go, here's the, here's the conundrum that we're in. Listen, we've had sure. uh, Premier Doug Ford on our show uh, yeah. a number of times. Yeah. Uh, you know, and he's he's passing on uh, information to Ontarians, telling us what to do. Mm-hmm. And, and and we don't what, what Doug do we believe now? Yeah. <laughs> we got we got yeah. two Dougs saying two different things. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, I, I don't I don't think there's a right in this answer. I think that there has to be consideration. And I think what we're trying to do is educate the public so that they understand that there are other sides to this. And we are reaching out to the province, as you know, to say, listen, you have to consider these things. Other, Even Joe Biden just recently said, it is an urgency to get our kids back in school. The European leaders are saying the same thing. And, and, and so it's not whether you believe or you don't believe one of us. I think the reality is there are other sides here and we need to ensure that the conversation happens. It, because unfortunately, what we're seeing in the press is, is, a, is often a one-sided conversation about case counts lock it down, a hashtag COVID zero. And, and, and the reality is these are great, uh, these, are, these are great goals, um, but we have to think about the broader context. And I just, and I hope and pray that Doug Ford is thinking about that, and that his medical advice that he's getting considers all these things, not simply uh, what the public wants and, and I th- or understands. And so shifting the public perspective is really something that we are also trying to do so that they do understand that it is very reasonable for children for most children to 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 go to school um and if and if that changes you know if that also then shifts doug ford's priorities i, I really hope that it does so that that's all i can say about that right on dr doug uh, hey thanks for calling in and uh talking with us today we feel a hell of a lot smarter after talking to you so uh, <laughs> i appreciate it we want to uh we appreciate your time and enjoy that morning coffee all right Hey, thanks so much. Have a great day, guys.